We know that owning a pet can be beneficial to your health. So why don't more seniors have a dog or a cat or a companion animal? This week, we want to discuss some of the challenges and even stigmas surrounding seniors and pets. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And a tough topic that we don't often talk about or really ever talk about is seniors owning pets. There's a lot of bias and stigma associated with that. And this week, we want to help dispel some of the myths and discuss some of the opportunities and challenges and maybe solutions that we can come up with. But before we start solving all those problems, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, it's been one of those weeks. I don't know about you. you you've had a, a really busy week and are continuing to have a busy week. But this seems like, oh, wow, it's May. And oh, wow, a lot is going on. What's going on in your world? Well, it's May. I'm finishing up my semester. And that's the only thing existing <laughs> in my world right now is my, my capstone semester. I'm excited to finish it up. Um, and then I start my new position with Appalachian State University uh, next week. So it's crazy busy right now and full of blessings. So it's the best kind of busy. What about you? Uh, yeah. I mean, it just seems like uh, you know life kind of goes through fits and spurts sometimes. And right now it's in a spurt. <laughs> or fit or both at the same time. And a lot of work kind of is piling up. You know, we're entering into that busy time of year where I think a lot of us want to get, you know, we have a lot of work done so that we're looking ahead to vacations in July, maybe when we can take a little time with our family. So it just seems like, wow, the next six weeks are kind of uh, busy. But speaking of being busy and being lonely, I mean, there are a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world that as they enter into their senior years, Becky, you know, they they do have loneliness. They, they don't have family members close by and, you know, they kind of lose social contacts. And that's where, you know, owning a pet can really satisfy a lot of those basic needs. And yet, Becky, so often, you know, we hear older clients who have recently lost a dog or a cat say, I'm not going to get another one. And then Becky, fill in the blank. Because I'm afraid I'm going to die. And I'm not sure I can think of a more depressing, horrible, like, I don't even know how you answer that because you can't say to your client, you're not going to die. You know, that's not a reasonable response, but saying something like, oh, I totally understand. And that makes sense. Isn't the response I'm going to give either, but you should never feel like you're talking someone into getting a pet either if they don't want one. So it's a really tough spot, I think for us as veterinary professionals. And then I think even just as families, friend, friends, neighbors, because we see people in our lives who we think would benefit from a pet who have, you know, apprehensions. Right. And full disclosure, my mom is one of those people. And so, you know, Becky, we we tend to think of in terms of existing or pre-existing pet owners, pet parents, right? So these are people that have had dogs and cats and whatever their whole life, right? And so suddenly as they get older, they might be more hesitant to take on another responsibility of a pet. But there's a large cohort of people out there who would benefit from the companionship of an animal who have never really been animal people. I mean, again, my mom is kind of in that category. My dad was the 
animal lover in our family. And mom was just sort of a the, the tolerant one, if you will, right? And and so, you know, I'm sitting watching her. I mean, we did move her closer to us a couple of times. And so she's, you know, really within just a few minutes of us now. But, you know, I worry about her loneliness. And we've encouraged her over the years to, to try to bring a cat or a dog. And here she has this perfect safety net, right? But yet she refuses to do that for a lot of reasons. And a lot of those reasons are, as Becky just stated, what would happen to my dog or cat or bird or hamster or rabbit if I die, right? And and so I think we've got to solve that problem. But, you know, Becky, there's really another layer of stigma to this that we don't often talk about in the vet profession. And that actually comes from the animal shelters and rescues and, and even breeders, right? They see a person who comes in and they're 70 years old. Maybe they haven't had a dog or cat in a long time. And now they're saying, hey, I want a dog or a cat. I think there's some implicit bias against those people. They're like, wait, are you sure you want to do this? Becky, what do you think? You know, while you were saying that, I was just thinking about how many older clients I've had come into the clinic and they always have these like 120 pound Rottweilers and shepherds. And you're thinking to myself, like, this animal is got to be way too much for you. And I think you're right. I think it is really hard not to be ageist if you, and I, you know, that's a hard reality, right? That's a hard truth that I'm sitting here even thinking to myself, if I was in a shelter and an older person came in, I would be considering matching them with an older pet for that very reason. But then we start to think about health problems or mobility issues in older pets. And then I think maybe that wouldn't be the best thing for an older person. Maybe they need something that's going to be fairly young, healthy, spry, and mobile. Um, And it is... We always say, you know, don't x-ray the wallet. Don't judge the client. Don't do this. Don't do that. But at the same time, what is our responsibility? What's our liability? What's our role in coaching the best for our clients based on our knowledge and experience? Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what prompted this conversation today, Viewfinders. It was, I, I got a book press release, if you will. You know, I get a lot of book things being an author and all that stuff. And and the book was uh, by this older person who had uh, written a book called Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging, and Loving This World. And I thought it was interesting because, you know, like little synopsis that they give you in these little press releases, it was basically, it started out with saying, at age 75, my husband and I rescued our first dog. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? what is this all about? Wow. And and she tells her story of how she'd never really had pets growing, you know, growing up or, you know, a little bit, but but not with her immediate family as, as they were building their life. And then they got to this point of retirement, empty nesting and all that. And they said, hey, you know, we're missing something. And so they decided to rescue a dog. And so part of her story that I took out, and, I, and she really wasn't driving hard at this, was the fact that they actually had a little bit of difficulty, apparently, adopting a dog because several rescues sort of discouraged them from bringing a dog into their home based on their age and their station in life, if you will. So, you know, Becky, I thought that I was like, wow, you know, I, I get it now. I mean, this is something we should be talking about. And then as I explored further, you know, Becky, there there is a group in Canada. In fact, it's a national nationwide charity called Elder Dog. And I would encourage the viewfinders to check this out because Elder Dog really is, is their mission is to promote this because they say, look, you know, we know that, that if seniors lived with dogs and cats, you know, it improves their morale, helps reduce their depression, you know, they're healthier, happier, can reduce stress, they exercise more, gives them something to take care of. I mean, you know, all those positive benefits. And, um, 
And they're trying to promote that aspect. And, and Becky, I'm not really aware of anything specifically like that in the U.S. I am a board member of the Gray Muzzle Society, which we do great work with shelters. But, you know, that's actually getting senior pets in the homes, not senior people with pets, right? Yeah, we did an episode way back in the beginning where we talked about how hard it can be to adopt a pet from a rescue as like a perfectly happy, healthy veterinary technician, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you don't have an eight right. foot fence. Like who has an eight foot fence? Oh, you don't, you work too many hours to have a cat. You don't work enough to pay for a cat. Right, right. <laughs> like <clears throat> we have seen, and we've talked about these experiences with folks who are very eligible. So it would seem to me like, yup, that's probably a huge problem with rescues. And then, you know, the other, the flip side of that, and and I'm not, like, I, I know our shelter population of employees and shelter technicians is growing. We're getting a lot of great education into shelters. But I think when we think about the majority of shelters, especially rural America shelters, you know, you've got somebody in there who maybe isn't going to do a great job with a pre-adoption coaching. And, and, and then you've got a senior who comes in and says like, oh, I had black lab growing up. So I'm going to rescue this black lab and everything in the shelter is a lab. So it's not a pit bull. Right. Right. So then you've got this really poor mismatch and someone's health could be in danger. And that easily could be either the pet or the person. So, yeah, I like, I, I could see where this is incredibly, you know, difficult decision and, and, and how personal can you get when you ask questions? Can you ask about their, you know, support, their family, um, their backup plan? Yeah. And, and speaking of backup plans, I mean, that's part of this conversation that also leads us to stigma and bias. And the fact is that if you're sitting there across from a person who is 65, 70 years of age, I guarantee you, if and I do the same, you're thinking, do you have a contingency plan? <laughs> what happens if you can't or aren't here, right? And yet we never look at that somebody in their 40s or 50s. The other part of that conversation that we don't talk out loud about is the fact that, you know, we would say to that 65 or 70 year old person, hey, do you have the uh, access to a park or can you walk this dog? Can you give it adequate exercise and stimulation, right? Whereas that 40 year old person, we don't even ever broach that topic. And yet that actually may be the, the family, the younger family that can't, that doesn't have the time to do anything. And this 65 year old in front of you, has all day long. You see what I'm getting at, Becky? Yeah. And I think, you know, like I think about my mom, my mom's spry. I won't say my mom's age on the plug. Both of my parents are um, over 68. I'll put it that way. And they both have pets. And I think to myself about, you know, what, what, what would we do? What's the plan? But my mom is single and my dad is married. And that makes me all like think because the the article you're referring to was a couple. And so built in there is at least a one person backup system, right? If something happens, unless it's the notebook, chances are they're not going together, you know? And so, you know, that brings in the layer of the, the single folks. And, you know, the one perspective we're talking about here is, is that maybe they want to and can't. But, you know, like you talked about with your mom, then there's this portion of like family and friends who really want to encourage somebody to get a pet because it would be good for them. And they don't want to because of their, you know, their own fears. And 
it it I think this really demonstrates how much coaching and you know help our clients need and the stigma that we probably live with because when I think about the people I've lost in my life, more of them have been under 70 than over 70 at this point in my life. And should we be encouraging all of our clients to have a contingency plan? Should that be something we build in regardless of age? Is that something we should be talking about at the clinic and saying like, hey, is there a phone number we should have on hand if we can't get a hold of you? Or is there somebody you'd want us to know? Or I don't know. But like, are we even in giving care having that same stigma? And what can we do to make it a more comfortable conversation? Because if we if they don't have pets, we don't get to have them in front of us, right? right so we right. need to be educating through these types of conversations. Um, I think this is a real, I think it's a big issue and something that probably gets wheels turning for a lot of folks. And I don't know the best answer. When you talk about the elder dog, they're looking to adopt out pets to older folks or older dogs. Well, to to encourage support, right? So they've got like a actually they even have a service where they can help you find a dog, an older dog, if you whatever dog you want, if you're a senior citizen. Uh, and also they do have some kind of safety net. So if you were to pass, I believe that they would help. They if according to their website, they help rehome these pets. So I think they they're kind of trying to solve all of that. You know dilemma and challenge for dogs. And I would really encourage this for cats because like people like my mom in their 80s, she's probably, when I mean, she's never been a dog person, but the reality is a cat would be a great companion for people like her who aren't as mobile or as spry as, as maybe your, your family is. But, you know, the, the, again, giving you the same kind of warm fuzzies and and I think, you know, touching their soul. But um, yeah, I think elder dog is, is a great movement towards this. But, you know, again, I think viewfinders, what we have to look at from a professional standpoint, and the reason we're having this conversation with you, our colleagues, is because I want to examine how much social stigma and pressure and bias actually exists out there, right? Because I think that unless we can overcome that, it really isn't going to expand the the quote-unquote pet parent pie, right? And so, Becky, you know, here we are always talking about, gosh, we need more homes, whatever. And I think we've solidly focus on the younger parts of our society and completely, you know, sort of ignore the people over 60, 65, 70. Yeah. And that, that is, that's a hard one, right? Because yeah. when I think about most of the cats that I know are, are 15 or older. And, you know, and if, if you're looking at the, I guess the thing is, is we can't be looking at anyone for an expiration date any more than right. we can be looking at any pet for an expiration Good date. Point. And so do we have to get over it and say, we don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen. And if we go with the plan that this person dies at an average age and this pet dies at an average age, there's a misalignment. But because we don't know the future and no one has an expiration date, should we just really focus on today and the now? But then, like you said, does there need to be more work in helping rehome, helping plan, helping have a contingency? Because I can almost hear shelter employees out there right now saying most of the pets we get surrendered are from families. Not, I, I shouldn't right. say most. That was really but a lot, but a lot. Yeah, yeah. but a lot, right? You hear that all the time, and you see it, like on Facebook or the groups or whatever. Hey, can this, this dog needs a home, no fault of its own. It's a great dog. It's owner died. Um, you know, and 
how can we do a better job of, of networking? How can we do a better job of destigmatizing older pets, getting them into homes? I mean, this has got multiple layers, like you said, and it in, in overrun shelters as it is, we look at the most adoptable dogs and the senior pets are not as adoptable. And it is incredibly sad to think that they're spending their last days in, in a shelter um, because they've already lost an owner. But at the same time, the benefit of the time together, right? Better to have loved than lost type of idea. Um, it's, it's something that I think shelters, it's something I think veterinarians and professionals and rescues should all really be thinking about how they can build this into their system. But I think similar to the Gray Muzzle Foundation, a lot of it is destigmatizing older pets in general. Right. And and that's exactly the point. The point is that Gray Muzzle is saying, hey, senior pets can contribute to your life in a variety of ways, right? And again, Gray Muzzle is focused on dogs, but, you know, cats, I would extend a lot of that to the same. And here we are saying, here, seniors can actually be a great home. And, you know, Becky, it's, it's interesting as, as you were talking about that, you know, one of the things that I think that could help also is sort of, you know, access to like, let's say right now you're, you're listening today and you're going, you know, I think there's something here, right? I mean, I could, I could help my community out. I think number one, it's really just assembling, you know, some services. So maybe some older people that are disabled that couldn't walk their dog, maybe they're dog walkers in your area that you could have as a, just a resource. Say, Hey, if you're interested in doing this, guess what? It's easier than you might think. Right. And maybe there are even financial assistance programs in your area area for low-income people. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that if you are interested in trying to destigmatize seniors owning pets, then, you know, just look in your community and see what resources are available. And then again, put a spotlight on that. And, and Becky, for me though, part of this conversation is A, I think we need to somehow reassure those older clients who, you know, it's time and they put their their dog or cat down and they're going, oh, I'm not, that's the last dog I'm ever getting. You know, I'm 68 years old and blah, blah, blah. Well, that person has another 20, 20 years in front of them probably. So, you know, or hopefully. And so, you know, I don't want to just diminish that. I want to say, wait a second, you know, hey, you know, let's, let's do, I wouldn't do it at the time of euthanasia, but, but you know what I'm saying, Becky, I want to make sure that we encourage them to do that. But then the bigger issue for our society to me, again, viewfinders, is how do we introduce owning a pet to an older person who maybe never had time prior in their life, and now they do? And again, that's getting back to that book, Starter Dog, where it's an older couple in their mid-60s, and they get their first dog, and they talk about all the, you know fun and games that happen with that. That's what the dog or the book's about, you know, and I think this, you know, there's like a, a Halloween scene where the dog, you know, runs amok and all that, you know, you can imagine the, the, the hilarity that ensues. But, um, you know, Becky, again, it just, to me, sparked this idea of saying, wow, these people, you know, worse, they felt stigmatized and they wrote a book to show, Hey, you know, we had a great time. It was a fun experience, but there's a deeper issue going on here. So I, I like this, this conversation a lot. Uh, you know, Becky, years ago, we did a, a talk, uh, a podcast on the importance of, we talked about contingency plans, but like including the care of your pets and your will, right? And so I think that, again, for yeah. older people, regardless of their financial 
social uh, status, you know, that could also be a way to do this. You know, Becky, I would also like to, if there any anybody out there in the shelter world, I'd love to know if there's ever been a study that looked at the number of pets abandoned due to death of owner. Because I'm with you. You said that earlier about, you know, hey, look, <laughs> I've worked in shelters, you've worked in shelters. To me, I, those aren't the, the everyday occurrence. Like we don't see everyday adult, well, here's another one, you know, their owner died. Whoop, we've got two more coming in, their owner died. You know, that's not like, that's not the most common reason why pets wind up in the shelter. You know, I'd love to look at those, that data because maybe we've created a problem or uh, we've created the perception of a problem that really doesn't exist. Oh, absolutely. Potentially that is the case. And I think it's just like anything else where those are the ones you hear about, right? So yeah, when hundreds right. of thousands of people pass away every day and their families take their pets and it's never an issue, right? you know, you don't hear about those, but the ones, those little, those big watery eyes that you see on the internet. And it's such a sad story that their owner died and you, you know, you have that empathy pain. It, those are the ones that stick with you. So that's what we think about. And I think from a shelter standpoint, a lot of times they need a story, right? They need a story to get that pet out of there. And that's a great one. You know, great pet, lost its owner, tragedy, sad, people run to that. So, you know, to some extent, it, you're absolutely right. It could be glamorized or glorified. Maybe families, um, are, maybe that isn't the everyday thing. And, and maybe that is part of that's leading to that idea. The other thing to me is just sort of a check-in system. I have a, a, a friend who is um, in her upper 60s, and she has talked about wanting to get a pet as a companion. She's a widow. She lives by herself. But her fear is that she'll die at home and no one will know, and then the pet will suffer along with her death. It will just be alone in the house for days and days. It made me think about you know, what kind of check-in system could there be, or is there a way? Is there some kind of network? Is there something we can provide to fill that gap? You know, we've got meals on wheels, you know, right. and, and things like that. How could we in our communities create a, a safety net that says, if I haven't heard from you in a day or two, I'm going to check on you. Um, and maybe that's a good thing. Just if you have a senior that lives near you, that feels that way, um, that they know that somebody will check on them, that they, I think that's probably a, a big fear of people who live alone in the, as seniors that they'll die and, and just lay there. Um, but the idea that their pet would suffer too. So some of it, I think, is not even just what will happen after they die, because I think to some extent people know when I die, it'll get taken care of. But what will happen in the meantime? And I think that is another area where we can try to tackle some kind of problem, where we could try to have a check-in or a contact system of some kind. Um, but it's a it's a big problem, and it makes me so sad to think about the people who are living alone who could really benefit from companionship and all of the pets in shelters or up for adoption that right. could really benefit from a home and that the idea of a terminal relationship is what keeps it from happening. Right. And I really think this is something we, you know, obviously can't fix today, but it's important to start to shed some light on and think about actively. Yeah. And again, you know, even just matching seniors with seniors, I think there's also a lot of opportunity there. In fact, uh, in that press release for that book, Starter Dog, I, I do recall the lady saying something to the effect of once this dog passes, you know, because she's already looking down the road, you know, she's and she actually said something like, you know, I'll be in my mid 70s or whatever. She goes, at that point, I think we would probably bring a, you know an older dog into our home. So I was like, wow, OK, she's 
already thinking ahead and and that also solves a problem. The other thing too, as we wind up today's conversation viewfinders is the, you know, a lot of uh, seniors also fear that they might have to go into an assisted living, you know, circumstance and that they would have to abandon their pet. I will say, you know, that's getting better, right? I mean, there are more and more assisted living facilities that are allowing you to bring in, especially small dogs and cats. Um, so there are, you know, arrangements there. There is a group in Canada called My Grandfather's Cat, which specifically is is designed, I think, just to help with this issue of like, if you're having to move into an assisted living program, they either help you navigate getting taking your pet with you or what to do with it if, if you can't. So I think they're, you know, again, sounds like Canada's a little bit ahead of us. So well done, Canadians. But, uh, you know, Becky, what about what about that role of assisted living? I mean, I think these people need these people. I think assisted living facilities need to be a little more open minded and embrace the value, you know, because this can keep people a lot healthier. Uh, of course, you know, making their job easier. I remember when I was in tech school, I had to take English. It was a huge inconvenience. And the first (laughs) paper I wrote in English was about the benefits of assisted living, um, pets in assisted living. And at that time, it was really pretty new idea. Maybe not a super new idea, but it was was catching on. Um, and, And this is twofold, right? Because should we be looking at assisted living that allows pets? And also, even if there isn't a pet... I think it's a worthwhile mention if you have someone in your life that you're looking for assisted living, there are ones that already have pets or have animal visits. And what we know is that that hugely increases the socialization right. of seniors. It, it it gets them out. It gets them talking. It gets them interacting. And that is, a, is one of the major problems, just isolation, even when seniors are living together. Um, and we know that pets help that. And so I think that in assisted living... I think every assisted living should have some kind of pet. And I understand there's allergies and assisted living right now is as understaffed as any veterinary hospital. And they're having a hard time with the resources that they have to take care of people. So I understand that too, but I think it's a worthwhile thing to to mention. And I'm glad that you did because um, I think that it's uh, also another place to consider senior pets and fostering or adopting. um, If you work at a shelter, get in touch with your local assisted livings and see if they have pets and, or even if you could just help with some visits. Yeah. And again, viewfinders, we don't have all the answers, but this is something I think it's a bigger issue than maybe we discuss a lot of times. I don't, I've never really heard people talk about it in this context of stigma and bias against seniors getting pets. And so I hope that you can maybe now take this idea and, and let's try to work together on this. I'll include in the show notes links to the, the organizations that I referenced, including the book by Rona Maynard called Starter Dog, My Path to Joy, Belonging and Loving This World, also Elder Dog Canada, and my grandfather's cat. I'll give you all the resources I can find, and then you can take them and maybe we'll create our own. But again, it's a good conversation to have, Becky, and it's one of those the one of those topics that, again, it's a tough topic, uh, don't have a lot of answers, but I think that we can overcome it through a lot of awareness. Yeah, I'm really glad we talked about it. I have a lot to think about just from that article and in my own bias, and I think that that's the point of these conversations is just kind of check your bias check your opportunity, check your privilege. Do you have a way to help with this? Do you have an idea or a resource? Because it's there's a need. And that's a lot of what we try to do is just bring to light some of the needs and, and hopefully spark some ideas out there. And um, maybe we don't have the answers here, but maybe we can help 
people who do have the answers find a way to share them. Yeah, and if you've got ideas, definitely I'll, I'll tell you, go and share them on our Facebook page, Veterinary Viewfinder on Facebook or Instagram page. But honestly, when you post things on our Facebook page, there's a lot of conversations that happen. So keep it civil, folks. But I think this is one where I'd love to hear other people's experiences and ideas. So Veterinary Viewfinder on Facebook, Veterinary Viewfinder on Instagram. We're not doing any Twitter right now, but that's okay. And of course, you can always email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. Guys, it's been a great conversation. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Becky, good luck with this final little bit of school. I know you're traveling. Thanks for making the call today. Absolutely. And thank you for this uh, this topic idea. I think it's really important. I look forward to hearing what people have to say. That's right, guys. Until next week. Bye. Bye. That was good.